This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It was a horrendous crash. We're used to hearing tons of crashes here um, on this road. Now on the news hour, a deadly pre-dawn crash in a notoriously dangerous intersection. Plus, maybe I'm looking for another job right now because uh, I pay everything, right? Closing time, but not by choice. Another Vancouver business beleaguered by construction on the Broadway corridor bites the dust and triumph for one homegrown phenom bound for the big leagues and the tragic loss of another. Congratulations to Vancouver Canucks alumnus Gino Ojic on getting into the BC Sports Hall of Fame. The fan favorite former Canuck who seemed larger than life, Gino Ojic, dies at just 52. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news and a major void left in the BC sports world tonight. Beloved former Vancouver Canuck, Gino Ojic has died. Our Squire Barnes joins us now with more on Ojic's life and legacy. Squire, he really was one of a kind. He was. When he first arrived here, we didn't know much about him, but boy, did we get to know him, and we're really glad he came to Vancouver. Pat Quinn brought a beauty when he brought Gino Ojic to town. Not just on the ice, but off the ice. Anybody who knew Gino Ojic, and I'll say this in an upcoming story, will tell you, he was a great guy. He was legit. He was the real deal. And as I said, we are lucky that he played for the Canucks and stayed in our town after his career was over. Gino Ojic was more than just a former Vancouver Canuck. He was and is and will always be a folk hero. And here's part of the proof. 2014, while Gino was fighting off a rare heart disease, fans gathered outside of VGH, showing him their support. It was appreciation for what Gino had done on the ice and off. He was brought to Vancouver in 1990 by Pat Quinn, who was looking for a player to protect the other Canucks on the ice. They told me the team had been getting pushed around for a couple of years, and I came in and pushed back, and people liked that. He was a guy that always uh, you know, would take care of business. If uh, someone took advantage of you as a player, any player on the team he would look out for, but he was very kind and uh, just a, a teammate that uh, I'll never forget. And that's what everybody who knew Gino Ojik will tell you. His charity work, especially within the Indigenous community, was never-ending. It started the moment he arrived in Vancouver. It was important to him to be a role model. It was also important for Gino to use his hockey career to honour his father, and part of honoring his father was asking the Canucks to let him wear the number 29, which had huge significance for him and his family. Yeah, that's my dad's residential school number. So uh, that's why I asked for it. I wanted to honor him by playing because they were, you know, they were a number when they went to school. They weren't, uh, they weren't called by their names. 
Gino's hockey career, his life after hockey, honored his dad, himself, his family, and everybody who came across him or cheered for him. What a legacy and what a role model, as you said, and our condolences to his family and friends tonight. Yeah, he, uh, he is unique. They broke the mold when uh, Gino was born, and uh, as I said, thank God we had him here. He is legit. As you said, thanks so much, Squire, for being here. And actually, Barry DeLay will have more on Ojik's passing and an update on another homegrown sports phenom, Nathan Rourke's highly anticipated signing with the NFL. Coming up later in the show, a big day for sports NBC. Squire, thanks. Thank you. Turning now to a tragic fatal crash in Surrey early this morning at a notoriously dangerous intersection. The extremely high traffic route leading on and off the Portman Bridge was closed pretty much all day as investigators worked to piece together the final movements of two sedans that collided, leaving one driver dead. Travis Prasad reports. Just around the corner behind me is the 152nd Street on-ramp to the Portman Bridge, but drivers have been unable to get to the highway from here as investigators look into what caused this deadly crash. The driver's door twisted, a tire ripped from the frame. This is what's left of a black Honda sitting on a sidewalk along Guilford Drive. Debris scattered across two lanes, a sure sign of something serious. Police say the Honda and this white Mercedes collided early Sunday morning. One person died at the scene. It was a horrendous crash. We're used to hearing tons of crashes here um, on this road. So I didn't think nothing of it, but it lasted about 10 seconds long. So I knew it was a major one. I woke, woke us right up out of uh, bed. I looked at the time. It was exactly 5 a.m. on the dot. The intersection is part of a popular route out of Surrey and onto Highway 1. The crash closing the stretch down, forcing drivers to make detours. Meanwhile, investigators document the fatal crash, combing through the scene, marking and gathering evidence. Police have not said what caused the early morning collision or who was behind the wheel, but people who live near the intersection tell us excessive speeding has been a problem for years. People come flying down here, they don't pay attention at all to the speeds. They're coming to the highway or they're coming off the highway, so they don't care. Investigators are now canvassing the area for witnesses. Anyone with information or dash cam video from 152nd Street near Guilford Drive is asked to contact Surrey RCMP. Travis Prasad, Global News. Yet more economic casualties caused by the ongoing Broadway subway line construction in Vancouver. And in this case, one subway has caused the demise of another. The owner of a subway restaurant says she's been forced to permanently shutter her long-running business, left with no other options but to close her doors after 15 years. Grace Key reports. Surinder Sanga has run the subway shop on Broadway near Camby for the last 13 years. At the end of the month, she'll be closing. Business has dropped 75% because of the subway construction. I get like a cradle line from my home, then we pay the rent and uh, this is why we decide to close the business right now. Yeah. Do you want to tell us how much you took out or no? Around 50000 <laughs> Surrender sells two to four hundred dollars a day in food items. She's facing a fifty percent increase in rent to eighty-five hundred dollars a month. She's let all her employees go. Surrender said business was tough during COVID, but a government grant helped. Like city and government give me something because I put lost money in there, right? 
Yeah. A statement from the city reads in part, while the province is taking lead on this project, we continue to work hard to mitigate construction impacts to businesses. This includes assistance with loading and parking on nearby side streets, in-person outreach, and a dedicated liaison. In addition, change parking regulations, improve signage, and connect with technical staff. Signage didn't seem to help Heritage Asian Eatery, who announced it closed this month due to construction. City Council has reached out to the province about possible relief for businesses, but so far, no word. I would like to see something, uh, a consideration given to similar to what happened in Quebec uh, at senior levels of government, where they did establish a fund and a pool that businesses could apply to. Um, if they were particularly impacted. They set a number of criteria there, but based on the length of the duration or if they're able to really demonstrate that dip in sales, that's certainly an option that BC could look at as well. It's a tough loss for Surrender, who will have to be looking for other work. That must have been a really hard... Yeah, loss. yeah. But um, I do strong. <laughs> yeah. Do no business sometimes, up okay. and down. Grace Key, Global News. A new Westminster man has been charged after allegedly attacking three women on board the SkyTrain last summer. 31-year-old James Dumichel is accused of three counts of assault. His alleged victims captured this video, the one you just saw, of the suspect in the attack last August. Transit police say a stranger started taking pictures of three passengers once they boarded the train at Main Street Science World Station. When one of them confronted the suspect, he allegedly lashed out, punching one woman in the face before putting a second in a headlock and kicking her. When the third woman stepped in to intervene, the suspect allegedly bit her on the hand, causing injuries to her thumb. Turning now to an emergency response in the district of Squamish overnight after an integral part of their wastewater system failed and some sewage was released into an estuary. But was the breakdown caused by aging infrastructure? Julie Nolan explains. An emergency response in Squamish with crews working through the night. A diversion of wastewater after a failure at a lift station. There was a, a, a manhole or an access point um, that failed that that led to this um, this lift station uh, no longer being oper uh, operational. That failure led to the unfortunate release of wastewater into this estuary, but exactly how much is not yet known. There was a uh, a period of time where uh, there was a system set up to sort of let off the capacity that we just couldn't service through the emergency response and unfortunately that um, did flow uh, into into our estuary. Without diverting the wastewater to the estuary, the mayor of Squamish says it would have led to sewage backup in homes and businesses. Any uh, wastewater spillage into the natural environment um, is, is too much and in this case it was a, an absolute last resort to protect, um, to protect the, the property because there's a balance there where if that excess wasn't, wasn't spilled in the way that it was, then you have a backup through the system. As part of the emergency response, the district issued a water advisory. Did you hear though that this, the district said don't use water? Yes, we are very worried. Fortunately, crews moved quickly through a temporary waste transport system. The advisory was lifted Sunday afternoon Additional sewer vacuum trucks were brought in from the lower mainland to take wastewater to other lift stations in the region. Because the population is growing, there is not enough, uh, like, enough um, 
infrastructure to deal with all the wastewater. As the water advisory is now lifted, the district says it will try to figure out exactly what caused this system failure. Julie Nolan, Global News. RCMP in the North Okanagan are asking for your help in finding a missing man tonight. 33-year-old Kalen Bonneau hasn't been seen since December 3rd. He was last spotted in Vernon. He's described as 5'10 and around 180 pounds. If you see him, call police. The current weak snowpack across the province has heightened the risk of avalanches, but it also means our local ski hills are looking pretty bare right about now. An aerial view of the North Shore Mountains, Grouse, Cypress, and Mount Seymour shows just how little snow there is on some runs this weekend. That is after earlier snowfalls in late November and December. The BC River Forecast Centre says as of January 1st, the average snowpack across the province is 82% of what it typically is. On the south coast, it's 7 the center adds current conditions are a possible indicator of potential spring or summer drought concerns for some regions, although there are at least three months left for more snow to accumulate. A spokesperson for Grouse Mountain says they were able to create a solid base last month during those extended cold stretches. In the Okanagan, the issue this weekend was lingering fog, which hampered visibility for travelers on the roads, in the skies, and on the slopes. Victoria Famia has more. It is delayed till 2.45, and it was supposed to be at 11. Weather issues in the Okanagan prompted yet another round of delays and cancellations at Kelowna International Airport. We had to circle for half an hour because of the fog, eh? It was fog up there, so he circled for half an hour, and the alternative was to go to Vancouver, so we were quite concerned. I'm here for like four hours, which is really sad, and like, I got no other choice, so I'm sitting here with my two suitcases. Thick fog in parts of the region causing extremely low visibility, and flyers at YLW weren't the only ones feeling the effects of that. Those skiing at Big White were met with poor visibility at the top of the hills. It's pretty bad up at the very top. Yeah, you definitely got to go a little bit slower, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's still fun. When you get to the top, you can't see anything. The front chair where you go up, you can't see anything. I was really foggy at the top of the chair. Is that, it hard to see? Yeah, but once you got closer to the bottom, it got a bit better, but at the top it was bad. Some skiers advise caution before hitting the hills in these conditions. I managed all morning, but uh, I think you've got um, to be aware. Of safety. Be aware. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Environment Canada issued a fog advisory Sunday morning for North and Central Okanagan, and global meteorologist Yvonne Shell says the fog could linger around the next couple of days. Little precipitation in the forecast across the Okanagan, but the fog sets up once again. Dense and limited visibility will be for the evening, taking us in towards the morning hours on our Monday. Could lift slightly with patchy fog through the afternoon. We'll continue to see the stagnant air mass leading in towards our Tuesday. Ridge could break slightly as we look ahead towards our Wednesday with the chance of flurries moving across the region. According to Environment Canada, the fog is expected to impact visibility on the roads. And if it does, motorists are advised to turn your lights on and keep a safe distance between other vehicles. Victoria Femia, Global News, Kelowna. And Yvonne Shell will be back with our full forecast in just a few minutes. Also coming up, the colorful comeback of Lunar New Year celebrations. I'm excited just the fact that we can do that again and build the community again and remind people, like, hey, Chinatown is this magical, wonderful place. The preparations and anticipation for Chinese New Year, the parade, the festival and the food all returning after a pandemic pause. Plus... 
it's our family heritage, right? It's in our blood. I feel like I had to keep the show going, right? All in the family, the buzz over the multi-generational barber shop keeping an old tradition alive. That's coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Next Sunday, a signature event in Vancouver's Chinatown will return to the streets after a two-year pandemic pause. The 48th annual Spring Festival Parade is expected to draw thousands to the historic but struggling neighborhood and hopefully kickstart its revitalization. Kristen Robinson reports. Dancers perfecting their performance ahead of Chinatown's first in-person Lunar New Year parade since 2020. Lots of energy! A mainstay of the event since it started in 1974, the Vancouver Academy of Dance Troupe will join more than 60 teams and 2,500 participants, lining the 1.3-kilometer route from the Millennium Gate on Pender Street next Sunday. We had two years off and now we're back, returning in uh, full force. In 2020, it was quite sad when we only had one competition and we took so much time to set everything up, but unfortunately we weren't able to do anything. So now that we're able to fully come back, it's, it's so much fun. The 47th annual parade in 2020 almost didn't happen. COVID concerns leading to cancellations and a lower turnout. After hundreds of uh, Zoom meetings and, you know, and Chinatown, this neighborhood, you bring a hard hit by the pandemic and hate crime. I think it means a lot for the residents and, and the businesses here to see the crowds come back. You know, the place with the big parades, the night markets, and the Asian snacks. We are Chinatown, and we need you more than ever. Gym owner Ryan Diaz, who created his own video to promote Chinatown, is pumped to see the return of an event known for bringing more than 100,000 people to these streets. And I'm excited just the fact that we can do that again and build the community again and remind people like, hey, Chinatown is this magical, wonderful place. Vancouver's mayor campaigned on a promise to revive the neighborhood and says the parade's comeback is a good first step. And it's bigger than just the Chinese community. All, like, people from all walks of life and different, uh, you know, cultures and communities, uh, they come down and enjoy it as well. And it's just another piece, uh, you know, that will help us revitalize Chinatown. A lot of people haven't been there during the pandemic, and um, we need people back. We want people back. On Tuesday, Council will vote on an action plan that would see more than $2.1 million spent to improve the area, including $1.3 million on cleaning and sanitation in Chinatown and the downtown east side, and $110,000 to set up a city office in Chinatown. And up, and up. After covid Year of the Rabbit is predicted to be one of hope. For us to be able to 
share and celebrate our culture and tradition, we are so thrilled. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And the Chinatown Storytelling Center is celebrating the opening of its first special lobby exhibit. Raised in Chinatown is a collaboration with design students from Langara College. The exhibit explores Chinese-Canadian youth culture in Vancouver from the early 1900s to the 1960s with rare archival photos and artifacts. 19 Langara students designed the display under the guidance of their instructors. We just really wanted to celebrate their resilience, their achievements, their creativity and courage at a time where there was a lot of discrimination in Chinatown. There's these other stories that have a platform in the Chinese Storytelling Center that have an opportunity to kind of rise up and, and gives, us an, you know, gives us an opportunity to hear stories that otherwise we might miss. The Chinatown Storytelling Center sort of homes the, the stories of of that youth Canadian that, that came here years ago. Um, they also were very welcoming of the students and um, they treat us as, as, as professionals. The exhibit opens this evening and runs until June 15th. Next on the news hour, an international aviation tragedy. Dozens killed in Nepal's worst plane crash in decades. What experts believe caused the twin engine to plummet. Plus, I'm not going to benefit from this policy. I'll probably take less time than I used to before. More and more employers are offering unlimited vacation time. But what's the catch? Turns out there is one. The pitfalls of a growing professional perk. That's after the break. Stay with us. Tonight, aviation experts are searching for answers in the wake of Nepal's deadliest plane crash in decades. At least 68 people are dead and four others are missing. Jennifer Johnson now on the tragedy and the lingering questions. These moments are some of the final haunting images from inside Yeti Airlines Flight 691. Video believed to have been streamed from on board before the crash. From the ground, we see the plane suddenly banked to the side, recorded by a man on his terrace. The plane goes into a nosedive and then a gorge. People rush to the scene, Nepal calling in its military to speed up the desperate search. But there were no survivors, and little left of the plane itself, twisted metal and burning rubble. The plane was making a short trip to the new airport in the tourist town of Pokhara, about 200 kilometers outside of Kathmandu. This witness says the plane made a loud noise before it fell. Nepal's prime minister called the accident tragic, later gathering his cabinet to begin its investigation. The twin engine's aircraft's fuselage split into pieces, scattered down terrain less than two kilometers from the airport. The 68 passengers included 15 foreigners from seven different countries. The aircraft, an ATR-72, has a long history of deadly accidents. This aircraft was just 15 years old. What I'm seeing would be consistent with an aircraft aerodynamic stall with a nose-high attitude, slow speed in which the left wing loses lift and it banks left. This is the deadliest since a Pakistan Airlines crash in 1992, killing all 167 people aboard. The European Union has banned all flights from Nepal since 2013, citing safety concerns. For Nepal's aviation investigators, the grim task of understanding what happened is just beginning. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. You've likely heard of a popular new workplace perk at some companies, unlimited time off. 
So what's the catch? Microsoft is the latest company to make the move, announcing last week that its U.S. salaried employees will get infinite vacation days. Some Canadian companies already have such policies in place. The new approach is being used as a recruitment tool aimed at younger job seekers prioritizing work-life balance. And experts say it can definitely boost morale, but also runs the risk of discouraging employees from taking that holiday time. If they've changed this policy, but I still report to um, someone with archaic views around vacation time and FaceTime at work, uh, I'm not going to benefit from this policy. I'll probably take less time than I used to before because now when I go to my boss, it's seen as discretionary. It's seen as a choice. Canadian Payroll Services says Canadians are more likely to use vacation time than Americans. And apparently we also like to take more breaks. We're going to take a break right now, but coming up, Yvonne and Barry join us, plus Racia, but in an outhouse, the bizarre, beloved local tradition hitting the streets in small town America. We will explain after the break. Stay with us. Over the last few years, the third Monday in January, that is tomorrow, has become a controversial day since the so-called Blue Monday is supposedly the saddest day of the year. The Blue Monday concept surfaced in 2005 after a psychologist used a formula pointing to the third Monday in January as the most depressing day of the year, a combination of weather, Christmas bills, and low motivation in general. Many experts consider the day little more than a PR stunt, though, by a travel agency but it's also a good chance to talk about the importance of mental health. According to the World Health Organization, around 450 million people struggle with mental illness every day. And across Canada, the weather has a big impact. The winter months in general can be difficult for many people, whether they have seasonal depression or whether they have regular depression. But there's nothing about this particular day of the month that's any different from the day before or after. One of the best ways to improve your mood during the winter is to get outside when the sun finally makes an appearance. And Yvonne Schell joins us now to tell us when exactly that will happen next. (laughs) Yvonne, will it be soon? Yeah, there are a couple of bright spots, but we need to be patient, especially this evening. And taking us in towards our Monday, it's a soggy one out there this evening. We're tracking rainfall anywhere between 10 and up to 20 20 millimeters. We are going to see those winds pick up. Areas closer to the water will see gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. But there is that with a few heavier pockets embedded within that. It'll be similar across the island at higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes. Could still see some wet flurries and I'll show you more in just a moment. This is the system that we're tracking that takes us in towards our Monday. For your Monday morning commute, keep in mind the rain will be heavy at times. Give yourself that extra time. We've got a brief break in between and I'll show you that and that's when we're anticipating the sunshine. So through the morning hours on Monday, rain and heavy at times should taper off to a chance of showers as we get in towards the evening. Late day Tuesday another wave of rain will be heavy and then Wednesday by the evening hours and in towards our Thursday there is a bright spot we've got some sunshine in the mix it'll be drying out briefly before the next system works its way in through the day tomorrow we've got 15 and up to 25 millimeters of rainfall these are additional amounts still very windy in the coming days and then it'll taper off as we get in towards the evening if you're traveling along the mountain passes we still have the potential to see some rain mixed with snow for higher elevations the Kootenai Pass with accumulating snowfall between two 
two and four, and then an additional two centimeters for tomorrow. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. And we're still seeing fog for many areas and towards the interior and the northeastern corners of the province. Coastal areas for the northern half will bump up to five through the day tomorrow. A few isolated flurries for the central interior. The southern half, it's the snow level sitting closer to 1,000 meters. That's where we'll see some wet snowfall. Areas near Whistler could see a bit of a transition. And along the south coast, the island and the lower mainland, it is going to be a soaker with heavy rainfall for the morning hours. Keep that in mind for the commute. Paired with those windy conditions through the day, bit of a break as it tapers off to showers by the evening and then a look ahead Wednesday late day and in towards our Thursday it looks like it'll dry out we've got some sunshine in the mix and temperatures up to five Sarah okay a soggy blue Monday thanks so much Yvonne turning now to a beloved and bizarre tradition in Washington state where teams race to wipe out the competition the 42nd annual outhouse races took place in a town in central Washington the rules are simple. Each outhouse must be attached to skis, is required to have a toilet seat, a roll of toilet paper, and a person on the toilet seat wearing a helmet. There's a sitter in the seat and two pushers who help propel the outhouse down the track. The team with the fastest time wins. The annual tradition is designed to bring the community together for some fun during the winter. <laughs> Does what a waste. Like- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for Barry. I was just waiting for it. We've had a few toilet things. Yesterday was swept past down the toilet. Swept past down the toilet. Today is how to make the toilet go fast. It's a big part of our life. Yeah. Um, Big day in BC sports today. Yeah, yeah, certainly a solemn day for the Canuck Mm. Nation with uh, the passing of Gino Oge. You always hear players talk about a good teammate. You know, that was Gino. A menace to play against for sure, but just a great guy to have in the locker room. Fun-loving guy, big heart. We're going to hear from Cliff Ronning, who played uh, with Gino for many years here in Vancouver. And also big news with uh, Nathan Rourke. He has done it. He has signed an NFL contract. We'll tell you where and uh, how exciting that is for uh, Nathan Rourke. And the Canucks also played, and they won, but they are... They're down the lineup a little bit oh, today. Man. It's a very busy day today. <laughs> they won. Game mm, time they won. Yes, yeah. give them credit. They did win. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Big day. Looking forward to Nathan Rourke okay. update mm-hmm. as well. We'll see you both soon. Coming up, a continent of polar opposites. Europe goes from freezing to balmy in a very backwards winter. The energy shortage fears that haven't materialized and the threat that still looms. That's after the break. Stay with us. We have seen wild swings in energy prices this past year with the war in Ukraine and extreme weather events, just two factors. And that also led to fears that millions in Europe would be left out in the cold this winter. The good news is it's been balmy there so far this season. But as Kamyar Razavi reports, that doesn't mean global energy prices will be stabilizing anytime soon. To say it's been a warm start to the year in Europe is an understatement. In Malaga, in the south of Spain, people hit the beach in January. Elsewhere on the continent, ski resorts are bare. Another impact, a much-feared winter of discontent with millions of homes left in the cold, has not materialized. Well, they did dodge a bullet. Obviously, they did. Gas supplies in Europe are strong, with tanks at about 83% full as of December 31st. In Germany, fears that Vladimir Putin would turn off the taps has had people conserving energy and the German government accelerating its transition to renewables. I think that's going to change the system from within within a very short period of time. That transition is happening around the world and, say experts, explains a lot of the volatility in the markets. 
In Europe, natural gas prices were around 340 euros per megawatt hour in August. They're less than 70 euros now. More volatility, experts say, is just another winter storm, political conflict, or all-out war away. But it's also a healthy sign that the world is shifting to a different energy reality. Because if we were continuing to depend on fossil fuels to the same extent as we have over the past few decades, you may not see this much volatility. But energy transitions are not easy. It took decades to go from this to this to this. But that's changing. In Alberta, Canada's energy heartland, jobs in the clean energy sector are set to more than double over the next decade, a sign of things to come. Kamya Razavi, Global News. Coming up, a homegrown football phenom hits the big leagues. Victoria native and BC Lions star Nathan Rourke signs on the dotted line with the NFL for a major salary boost. We'll tell you where he's headed after the break. The Harlem Globetrotters are coming back to town. Don't miss them on their world tour as they bring their ankle-breaking moves, outrageous athleticism, and a hilariously good time to audiences. Tickets at HarlemGlobetrotters.com. Go on a culinary adventure during Dine Out Vancouver's annual festival. Visit over 350 restaurants around Metro Vancouver and enjoy multi-course meals, plus culinary experiences, tours, hotel offers, and more. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Welcome back, and Barry's back with the big story of the day today. Mm -hmm, yeah, you may have uh, seen Squire's uh, wonderful tribute to Gino earlier yeah. in the show, but for those who didn't, we've got some more for you. Thanks, Sarah. Um, as you may have heard earlier, it's a sad day for the Canucks nation. Gino Ojic has passed away at age 52. Gino was literally a fan favorite from the first shift he ever played as a Canuck back in 1990. He played parts of eight seasons in Vancouver, and even though he moved on to play for the Islanders, Flyers, and Canadians, he was always loved by this fan base. He just had that personality. He played over 600 NHL games, 444 of them with the Canucks, and even though he had a lot of health issues later in life, always gave back to his community. Fierce on the ice, but the best buddy, uncle, big brother type you could ever have, and that's what his old teammates remember. Uh, a fan favorite? I mean, how can you not love this guy? He, he fought for his teammates, but also he was kind to people. He had always he, he would stop to do an autograph for someone in a heartbeat. Uh, he was a very peaceful person. Um, he was one that didn't need a lot, and he was happy with whatever he had. And he was always, he always uh, felt blessed uh, that he was doing what he was doing. And, and if he can inspire uh, any of the Indigenous kids to, to have an opportunity to dream big, I mean, that's to me, he made a lot of kids dream big. And there's not one player that played with them or, or sat on the bench next to him that felt a lot, uh, a little bit bigger when you knew Gene Ojek was on the bench. 
and Gino was just 52. We'll get to the Canucks in a moment, but first, we all knew the odds of Nathan Rourke leaving the Lions for the NFL was very high, and now it has indeed happened. Rourke has signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. His agent has told us it's a three-year deal and that half a dozen teams came with very serious offers. Right now, the expectation is for Rourke to compete for the backup job behind Trevor Lawrence, the Jags' current backup. Uh, Bethard, uh, C.J. Bethard, rather, his contract expires after this season. So it's not a practice roster or a third-string job. And before you start to wonder why the Jags, especially watching Lawrence orchestrate that big comeback yesterday against the Chargers, keep in mind the Jags have a great head coach and a quarterback mentor in Doug Peterson who won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. Rourke also goes from making uh, about 100,000 Canadian to over 700,000 U.S., which is NFL league minimum. Rourke worked out for a dozen NFL teams, and he figured Jacksonville was his best landing spot. Rourke was brilliant for the Lions. He became the first quarterback to win the CFL's most outstanding player award uh, since uh, 1980, since most outstanding Canadian award. Born in Victoria, raised in Ontario. He was 8-1 as BC's starter before that foot injury derailed this season. 25 touchdown passes, only played half the year, finished second in touchdown passes in the league, made tons of dynamic, exhilarating plays, also ran the ball well, rushed for over 300 yards and seven touchdowns. So a 24-year-old has such a bright future. Unfortunately, it's going to be south of the border. He's a great talent, uh, just a genuine kid, too, loved by his teammates. We'll miss watching him, but all the best as a Jacksonville Jaguar to Nathan Rourke. The Canucks' new rivals to the south, the uh, Kraken, just set an NHL record by going 7-0 on a road trip. No other team has ever done that, and they're just in their second season. The Canucks, meanwhile, are going the other way. Today in Carolina, Vancouver trying to avoid an 0-5 road trip against the Hurricanes. Carolina, the number two-ranked team in the league, behind only Boston, and they tend to chew up the Canucks with their speed and skill. Now, Canucks have lost six straight overall on the road. Not a good start, just a couple of minutes in. Andre Svechnikov. We'll spot Paul Stastny all alone. His one-timer beats Colin Delia, who got the start today. So it's one nothing Hurricanes early. And then it's the Hurricanes late in the final minute. Canucks turn it over again. And the former Canuck Giant, or sorry, sorry Vancouver Giant, rather, the former Giant Jordan Martinuk scores on the rebound. It's 2 nothing after one. Late second. Canucks finally get on the board. Andre Kuzmenko, great pass to the former Hurricane, Ethan Bear, who gets the Canucks on the board. That was a big goal. Gave the Canucks some belief they could come back. Third period, Carolina a chance to advance the lead. Martinuk to Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Tries the razzle-dazzle between the legs shot here. Not sure why, but it was a great save. It remained 2-1. And then moments after that, JT Miller takes the pass from Quinn Hughes, rifles it off the post, but follows it up and chips in his own rebound. His 17th. All of a sudden, the Canucks are tied 2-2. Stays that way until late third. Look at the puck movement by the Canes. Took them five seconds to go from behind their own net to lighting the lamp. Great goal by Sebastian Ajo. And it looked like the Canucks would lose another heartbreaker, but they pulled the goalie. And with just 17 seconds left, Brock Besser cashes in the Bo Horvat rebound, his ninth. Ties it up 3-3. Give the Canucks credit for not giving up. It's been tough times of late. No scoring in OT in the shootout. Elias Pettersson for the win. And this is just nasty. It's the old Forsberg deke from the 94 Olympics. Canucks gutsy effort, 4-3 win in a shootout to salvage two points on the road trip. Said it all along all year. There's there's no quit on this team. I mean, you know, no matter you know how we we get down or 
Um, you know, I feel like all road trip, I think it's been pretty much one goal games this whole time. We fought our way back and at least made it interesting in a lot of games. And um, to finally get rewarded tonight definitely feels good that we continue to battle for him. You know, he's, he's a heck of a, he's just a, a really good person and a, and a good coach and um, everybody wants to play for him. So we're going to continue to do that. And they're back Wednesday home to Tampa. Meanwhile, the Baby Canucks fall 3-2 in San Jose. NFL playoffs. It was a nice day in Buffalo. No snowstorm, sunny and cool. Bills in Miami. Buffalo a double-digit favorite, and it looked like a blowout early. James Cook will run it in from 12 yards out. They led 14-0, up to 17-0 into the second quarter. But the Dolphins' defense dug in, made some big plays, including from a BC boy. Coquitlam's Javon Holland makes the interception late in the first half off the deflected ball. Holland had a big day, 10 tackles plus the pick. A key player for Miami in just his second year is dad, Robert Holland, used to play for the Lions back in the 90s. That pick leads to this Skylar Thompson to Mike Jasicki touchdown. Thompson, the rookie quarterback, the third Third stringer forced to start due to injuries to the other Miami QBs. Dolphins down just 2017 at halftime. And then look at this. Early third, they sack Josh Allen, who fumbles, and Zach Seiler takes it in for the touchdown. And the Dolphins have the lead. The Bills are in shock. They were supposed to win this easily, but Buffalo does respond with a pair of touchdowns. The second one, Josh Allen to Gabe Davis. And this is a superb play by Davis. How does he get? Both feet down at that high speed, but he does it. 34-24 Buffalo. Dolphins got back to within three. Fourth down, two over two minutes to go, but this time Thompson's pass falls incomplete, and the Bills escape. 34-31, they will host either Jacksonville or Cincinnati next week. In the NFC, indoors for Minnesota, New York Giants and the Vikings pick it up third quarter. Giants up three. They will add to the lead Daniel Jones to Daniel Bellinger. Nine-yard touchdown, 24-14. New York in front, but Kirk Cousins and the Vikings respond. Minnesota can score. They give up a lot, but they can score. It's uh, Cousins to Irv Smith Jr., so it's 24-21. And then they would tie it with a field goal, but the Giants... Take the lead again in the fourth. They cap a 12-play, 75-yard drive. Saquon Barkley's second TD of the game, making his NFL playoff debut, and that was it. Giants win it 31-24. New York with the first upset of the Super Wild Card weekend. Australian Open is underway down under in Melbourne. Where it's already Monday. Canada's Bianca Andreescu with an early match taking on Marie Buskova of Czechia, the 25 seed. Andrescu had a great opening set, got an early break, was moving well, gets to the net, stretch volley winner. And Bianca takes the opening set 6-2 and more fine work at the net from Andrescu in the second. She's got a lot of talent and skill and will. That's a great combination. She puts it together in round one, beating Vyskova 6-2 and 6-4. Later tonight, Rebecca Marino of Vancouver plays her opener. Dennis Shapovalov's on the court right now in Vancouver's Vashik Pospisil meets Felix Oje Aliasim in an all-Canadian first-rounder tonight at 11 on the men's side. World Under-18 women's hockey from Sweden. Canada taking on the host Swedes for gold. It was all Canada. How about Caitlin Kramer? This girl can play. Sets the tone early. Spectacular solo effort made it 1-0. Now 2-0 and off the face-off win. Alexa Oban with the deflection. 3-0 Canada in front. More from Caitlin Kramer. Check out this 2-1-1 break. And she can shoot it. 
wrist her to the top shelf. That's her hat trick. We're still in the first period. It's 5 nothing. She actually scored four. Alexa Oben also scored another one. Some great skills on this Canadian team. Like that. Backhander to the top corner. 10 nothing. Canada wins. They are the U18 Women's World Champs. Very impressive. Four BC players part of the Canadian gold medal roster. And we'll finish with Luckily, some golf from so paradise in Hawaii. Clear. Final round of the Sony Open. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor, eight under 62 Saturday to get in contention. Three under 67 today, sinks the birdie at 16. Finished at 13 under, tied for seventh. Won himself 232,000 US dollars. Man, if you can golf and play with the best in the world, it can pay off. It was South Korea's Siwoo Kim, though, who came from behind to get the win. Chips in for birdie on 17. Also birdied 18 to beat American Hayden Buckley by a shot. Corey Connors tied 12th, and Surrey's Adam Svensson is 41st. So busy day in our sporting world. No kidding. There you go. Okay, thanks so much, Barry. <laughs> okay. Coming up, all in the family, meet the multi-generational barbers keeping an old tradition alive. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. Achieving customer loyalty is the dream of any small business owner, so it helps if your business has been open since 1946 and when everyone who walks through the doors is considered family. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. Hard to believe, but Kitsilano Barbers has been welcoming customers for more than seven decades. Denzel Wood is a third-generation barber who's keeping the tradition alive. It's our family heritage, right? It's in our blood. I feel like I had to keep the show going, right? And it's, it's worked out great so far. Denzel's grandfather, Frank, first opened the shop in 1946. His sons, Ken and Ray, would eventually join him. The best part of it was talking to the customers. And uh, it's a great job. Well, you know, I, I love it. Hey, how you doing, everybody? The doors have never closed, and longtime clients keep coming back. Six years plus, and uh, in fact, I had hair then. <laughs> Ray Carter has had his hair cut by Frank, Ray, and Denzel. His visits to the chair don't take as long these days. Just a trim. It's <laughs> a little off the top. Family special to me. I know them, and I know all about their history, and they're all real terrific people, and they, they serve us well. The original cash register has survived all these years. Ray would ring up a buck fifty for a cut back in the day when the thing still worked. Oh, right here. I don't think it's good. It's seized up. This is Kit's Pool. This is our longtime customer, Jim. He's been coming to us for 50 years. Close connections in the community. In fact, Denzel is a former Kitsilano Soapbox Derby silver medalist. This gentleman, uh, he's very important to me because he hired me to begin with, right? <laughs> Many lasting friendships have been made here. This barber shop has been a cornerstone in kits for more than three quarters of a century. We're celebrating our 77th year. I feel like if I can take it to 100, you know, I'm still pretty young. I think I can do it. That's, that's pretty good, so we'll see. Jay Durant, Global News. Very cool. And if you have a great story that BC just needs to hear about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. A woman barber, love that. Yeah. A barb, as we said. Yeah, a, a barb, barb is very... <laughs> well said. Great dad joke. Um, <laughs> quick look at weather before we go. Uh, we're seeing rain heavy at times uh, this evening. For your Monday morning commute, it'll be heavy, an additional 15 and up to 25 millimeters, paired with windy conditions, so a heads up. We've got a break in there, and that looks to be for our Wednesday night, leading in towards our Thursday. Gem of the forecast, it's still a few days out. We'll be on Thursday. Be prepared, though. A soggy start for our Monday so far.
Okay, get those umbrellas out for mm. Blue Monday tomorrow, yes. for sure. Okay, that's all for us this evening. Thank you for sharing part of yours with us. We'll see you right back here at 11. See you then. Good night.